Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast exploring reproductive technology and life-changing stories. Here are your hosts, Jennifer White and Ellen Trackman. Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast where we explore how assisted reproductive technology is changing lives in our world. It makes uh, becoming parents possible for people who never thought it was possible. And we get the absolute joy of talking to people and hearing their stories and going beyond that technology and hearing the the real people behind these things. Uh, I am Jennifer White. I am the co-owner of Bright Futures Families, which is Colorado surrogacy, Montana surrogacy, and New Mexico surrogacy. And I get the absolute joy and pleasure of being here on this podcast with Ellen Trackman, who is my co-owner of those agencies, an attorney extraordinaire, and also my sister. Oh, thank you. And I just say that was very nicely done since I just tried to do the beginning intro and couldn't help like stop cracking up and then like stumbling over my words. So that was that was very nice of them. Thank you so much. <clears throat> but yes, I am Ellen Trackman. I'm an attorney in this area. Love working with my sister and love the chance to get to interview people whose lives have been amazingly changed and who are really out there fighting for themselves and fighting for others. Um, so we we really get to talk to some incredible people. And today is no exception. Um, this one I'm especially excited about because these are such incredible guys that we have on. Um, one is an attorney that I have um, admired for years for really making a difference in the world and specifically in Australia. Um, but I have to know and apologize that because they were in Australia and we were over here in the US and um, technology can sometimes have issues, we did uh, have multiple times that it broke. So it's basically like three mini interviews, but I think it, I think it's pretty smooth overall. But thanks to technology, we lost Jen halfway through. So you don't have to listen to her voice. Ha ha no. But it's still uh, Stephen and Mitchell have such great stories and have really done some incredible, incredible work. So enjoy. Welcome, Stephen and Mitchell Page. Um, we re- really appreciate you getting up early because I know in Australia it's only 8 a.m. While um, here it's, uh, I forget, but many hours earlier and only in the afternoon. But um, but joining us all the way from Australia. So welcome. And if you don't mind giving a brief introduction and then we're excited to, to dive into your personal story as well as your professional story. Okay, I'll, I'll start. Good, dive in. <laughs> um, okay, so my name is Mitchell Page. Um, so Stephen, I met uh, my husband Stephen five years ago. Um, we got married in How Los- How'd you meet? I'm just curious. Um, oh, for a, uh, a Christmas party. Um, yeah. Was he wearing an awkward sweater? No, no, it was the middle of summer, of course. And uh, oh, right, Stephen and... and um, uh, uh, boiling hot, um, and so I turned up uh, with um, red shirt, green shorts, and those red foam antlers that are sold at, by charity sellers every year. Um, and the host said, "Look, there's no one else wearing those." Um, I thought they were very funny. Um, he he said, "You're just amusing yourself." And uh, my um, um, beloved saw me and thought, "He's fun." <laughs> Oh, someone yeah. thought you were funny. Meant to be. <laughs> yeah, 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 it was meant to be. Um, <laughs> so then, flash forward two years later, we got married in Las Vegas. Woohoo! Uh, because of, uh, yeah, thanks for allowing us to get married in right. the country. Uh, because yeah. of course, of course, the marriage laws have just been changed. 
um, in Australia as of the end of last year, December last year. Um, so, yes. And um, uh, I'm, a, I'm a social worker. I have been for 10 years um, working very much with children and people with mental illnesses and in domestic violence. So that's me in a nutshell. Great. Um, and Stephen, do you want to introduce yourself as well? You can do the brief part and then we'll talk about it. We'll get more into the like, yeah. You know, is there a brief years, version? I don't know. There's well, so there much, is a right? brief part. You know, some years ago I was asked by a journalist to, um, to answer questions fully. I said, I'll just do a, a you know, a one liner. No, no, no. Give a full answer. <laughs> so after a 20 minute um, answer, she said, well, we might try that again. Do the one liner. No, I'll do the one liner. Um, my name is Stephen Page, and uh, I'm lucky to be uh, married to Mitchell. Um, it was just uh, he he said to me at the time it was destiny that we that we met, and of course I said destiny, schmestiny. As I've discovered in my life, of course he was right and I was wrong. Hmm. Um, that that is just a general tray of, of my existence. Hmm. Um, but I have been um, a lawyer now for. Um, well, since uh, 1987, and uh, my first surrogacy case was way back in 1988, uh, which was um, um, uh, a very, very long time ago, 30 years ago or thereabouts. Um, and I have, I have um, two children from uh, a previous relationship, and uh, my sons are now aged <clears throat> 27 and 25, um, and we are, in fact, they don't. Neither of them live in Brisbane. They live. Uh, each of them live um, opposite ends of the country from here. Um, but this weekend, we're lucky enough to be going up to visit one of them uh, and his partner. So, um, shortly after Mitch and I got together, we um, uh, decided uh, that we wanted to have a child. So we are um, undertaking our own surrogacy journey, uh, all in, all in Brisbane. Wow. So how is that going? Where are you at in that? Well, um, we've created some embryos and um, we've signed um, uh, the surrogacy arrangement. We had to have uh, mandatory legal advice and counselling. Legal advice is funny because, of course, um, my associate had to give it to us and she felt a little uncomfortable. I said, if you don't give us the advice and I don't appear to understand it, then we haven't complied (laughs) with the legislation. (laughs) So we all sat there and... And we went through um, the process and, of course, she was asking things like, now you understand that? I think she was, um, I think she was mocking me at times. Um, she felt like she was a bit on trial, I think. Yes. <laughs> um, but, uh, and, and, and to be fair, um, Karen, I so said, has been doing surrogacy work for 15 years, but, uh, um, uh, but it, you know, it was one of those things. And... Um, we haven't been successful on the pregnancy yet. We'll we'll get there. But you you're going to keep trying. Do you have a? Yep, we're going to keep trying. We're going to keep. We had um, we have eight embryos. Wow, um, cool. that have been created. Now one of them, the first one, was unsuccessful. Um, so we're just going to keep going. And our lovely surrogate is um, very understanding, and she's. She's up up to go again. So, yeah, we are very lucky. 
Mm, that's great. Sorry, you cut up a little bit, but how um, how did you find your surrogate? Uh, she's a uh, she's a very close family. Yeah, yeah, and she offered. Um, she just offered one day. She said, "I love you and Stephen, and um, I've got a uterus, so I'm not using it <laughs> at the moment." <laughs> And, yeah, so she just really, really wanted to help us out. And Mitchell um, was crying um, at this. You know, he was um, just uh, over the moon uh, at this amazing offer of generosity. Um, I was too, but I had that really strange feeling. Half of me was crying and going, I can't believe this. This is uh, extraordinarily generous. Um, and the other part of me was, this happens to my clients. So <laughs> these really two feelings happen. were happening at the same time. <laughs> it, it was just, it was such a right. weird feeling. I was going, wow, this is amazing. Well, this is happening to other people. They tell me about this. This is how it happens to them. It's <laughs> happening to me. It felt really, really, um, really funny. Well, I'm not surprised. I'm, I'm only surprised it only happened once. I, I do find, as to any of the listeners who don't already know, you guys are very lovable, and I'm shocked that people weren't just throwing themselves at you trying to, I mean, maybe your male friends too are like, I wish I could care for you. I just don't want to be No, actually, my, um, one of my cousins, she said, I want to carry for you. I want to carry for you. Oh, I'm too old, though. Yeah. <laughs> so, God love her. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know that feeling. Yeah. Did you use an <laughs> egg donor as well? Uh, yeah, one of my best friends from high school, she um, offered to be our egg donor, and I haven't been in high school for many, many years. <laughs> Two or three, okay, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, just, just two or three, yeah. <laughs> Great, but you kept in touch, and she... She knew and wanted to help. Yeah, a- actually, she's my only only friend I've kept in contact from high school. So yeah, it, it was pretty special. It, it's funny, isn't it, that um, we have been so blessed that this is all happening locally. Um, many people in Australia have to travel um, interstate or more likely overseas to do this. Mm. And we are just so lucky it's all happening here. Even in the United States, it's really common that everything is spread really far across the United States. So, I mean, you are really lucky that everything is is right right there, close to you. So that's a fantastic thing. Yeah, absolutely. We've got, you know, a friend uh, who, who's an egg donor. We have our beloved um, surrogate. We have our IVF clinic. Um, all happening um, just a short drive from here. So mm. we're just... Uh, incredibly lucky. Right. That's great. Um, I, I, first off, I appreciate that you guys are so open about this. I know there's varying feelings about how much people want to talk about when they are going through a journey. Um, how, how supportive are your family and friends? It sounds like they know since you are being so open about what you're going through. Yeah, no, they're really supportive. Um, yeah, no one's ever said anything negative in any way about our journey and they're really excited. My dad um, is over the moon. Stephen, <laughs> uh, Stephen's mum, unfortunately, we lost her last year. I'm sorry. Um, thank you. Um, she, was, she was over the moon as well. Mum was really excited. She, um, uh, she was really looking forward to... Uh, the tour is having 
a child together. Mm. Um, and uh, I, I think it probably helps that because of um, what I do, the people who know me, this is what I do for a living as well. So yeah. they're probably less likely to give attitude. Um, but uh, in any event, we, we've just been um, overwhelmed with uh, love and support. It's just, it's just been wonderful. Oh. Mitchell, is this your dad's first grandchild? Uh, no, so this will be his... The best. No. Uh, yeah. Just kidding, you have grandchildren. Of course. This will be his fifth. No, this will be the favourite. We like to play favourites. Like, to choose a favourite child is very popular to do. Oh, yeah, you have to choose a favourite. Come on. <laughs> you, as yes, you know, Jen and I are sisters, so, you know, oh, it's yeah. hard for her with me being the favourite. <laughs> well... You know, so I just solved that problem by only having one yeah, child, yeah, yeah. and then I can always. I'm never lying that she's well, my favorite, right? That's what I. That's what I say. Stephen's my favorite husband. I didn't think that's what he was going to say. I thought that's what he was going to say was, well, of course we won't have a favorite because we'll have several children. Oh. To which, of course, my response was one. Uh, one. I I'm on team one. Ellen is on team many. So we we have varied opinions here. <laughs> they're, so, they're just so cute. How can you stop? Well, they're, they're, they're so cute, but I've been there, done that. Yeah, well, we'll one. see how the first one goes. Uh huh. <laughs> there we go. There there we go. go. Back to lowest down. common denominator. <laughs> right. <laughs> Mm. Do you know the gender of your embryos? Um, no. In Australia, I think in America you can do sex yeah. selection. You can't mm-hmm. do that here. You can't do it. So you can't no. even yeah. know. Interesting. You can do it You can do it for medical reasons, but otherwise, okay. um, no, it, it, uh, there are really um, tight rules on doctors. So what we find is a lot of, a lot of Aussies going to the US, um, particularly women who want to have daughters. They, they've, yeah. they've had a series of sons, but they want to have daughters and they end up um, going to the US. But in Australia, no, you can't do that. Interesting. Mm. I was talking to um, a friend who works in fertility over there and she said that um, a lot of um, gay male couples are select to have a boy and a girl and they call it the gay package. The gay package. <laughs> Good marketing. Nice. Get the full time. Yeah. You know, whenever I thought about the gay package, that must, I must admit that wasn't what came to mind. <laughs> <laughs> there are other, yes, other packages. Mm. Yes. <laughs> um, All right, then. <laughs> do, you, oh, do, you do, do you do gender reveal parties there? Do you know what that is? Um, We do gender reveal parties. They're not very popular here. Um, Yeah. Uh, We have a lot more baby showers. And um, because we're Aussies and we love having a good barbecue, um, we have what we call a baby queue, which is... Ah, I love it. Are you barbecue babies? (laughs) <laughs> baby Q sounds like you're putting a, a baby on the <laughs> which, is, which is just a, a big party, a barbecue. We have all our mates around, have too many beers and, yeah. Or wine or whatever's going on <laughs> and make sure that they that uh, lots of presents are brought. Yeah. Oh, I love nice. it. Oh. Mm. 
Yeah. Well, we'll have to do an update later when, when you're pregnant and then when you're newborn parents and you mm-hmm. haven't slept and yeah. then it'll be more convenient for us to schedule this because we'll just schedule it for like 1 a.m. your time. <laughs> yeah, that sounds a bit right. And, and then, you, then you can see, see me at my charming best. Yeah. And, and then when they turn into teens like mine, then you start to drink, yeah. not because you're having a party, but because you're so stressed about boys and everything else. And uh-huh. <laughs> it all, it's, it's all cyclical. All the secrets yeah. are coming out now. <laughs> so, so I know a lot of people don't do it in Australia, and that's because the law is quite different. And I, it, it varies. What is kind of the legal legal structure that you're dealing with? Well, um, it's funny you say that because um, I think surrogacy has now certainly got a, an uptake um, happening. I, I think it has been um, for, for a while in Australia. It's, Australian society has really um, struggled with how to deal with surrogacy. And I, and I think if you look historically, we had the baby M case in New Jersey, what, 30 years ago, and then Australian parliaments reacted to that by saying, oh, we can't allow that kind of thing uh, to happen here. Uh, but um, in Queensland, which is, funny which is our home you, state. You know, and New Jersey just legalised, you know, compensated surrogacy, which is funny that all those years later, where baby empty yeah, I know, is now, I know. has well, now reversed. <laughs> yes, it's, it's, gone, it's gone the other way, finally. Right. Um, but Queensland uh, had a had a, an inquiry um, headed by a judge, uh, and as a result of which, it uh, criminalised all forms of surrogacy, whether mm-hmm. it's paid or unpaid, whether it happened in Queensland or anywhere in the world, whether it's gestational or traditional. Oh wow! And then about ten years ago, there was a there was a politician uh, who lived in Victoria, and he and his wife had to go to New South Wales for surrogacy because the Victorian laws were archaic. And as a result of which, there was this compact amongst all the politicians Australia-wide that uh, we should have allow altruistic surrogacy across Australia but not commercial surrogacy. And that's the basic um, legal setting, but uh, Australia is a federation. Was that illegal when she did it? Um, No, no. What they did was legal. Okay. Um, But... But it was uh, tortuous. Uh, so uh, all all our parliaments came up with um, laws about uh, surrogacy, uh, and of course, being a federation, they all came up with their own model, which they considered to be best, which didn't necessarily gel with the the one next door. Um, I should say I said all, but I should say with the exception of Northern Territory, there there are no laws about surrogacy. Um, in reality, you can't. <clears throat> undertake surrogacy uh, in the in the Northern Territory because you can't transfer parentage. So you, you can have a child, but then what? You have to stay there. Yeah. So what, you can't be the parent. So mm. um, as a matter of law. And, and in Queensland, um, where, where we are, um, you can uh, have surrogacy, you can have um, egg donation, but you can't pay... Uh, an egg donor, anything other than reasonable expenses, and you can't pay a surrogate anything other than reasonable costs. And if you do, uh, then you could be committing serious criminal offences. Interesting. Has anyone been prosecuted? Um, no one has been prosecuted uh, in the last ten years um, in Queensland. So the last, yeah, the last ten years in Queensland under the old laws, 
uh, over the course of about 20 years, there were about five prosecutions. And most people ended up with a bond. Sorry, we just had a little accident there. Mm-hmm. Uh, most people ended up with a, a bond and nothing more. I think the heaviest penalty anyone got was a $200 fine. And, and put that in perspective, at, at that time, the going rate for possession of a joint uh, was 375 and of course, I'm speaking in Australian dollars. Mm. And the bond is like being on probation that you didn't have to go. Um, no, it's just saying I, I won't break the law. And if you if you don't break the law during the period of the bond, then you don't have to pay the bond or be repunished. Okay. Interesting. So what is reasonable? Is it kind of like, and I apologize, I'll explain where I'm coming from on this, but like in Canada, it's also the same, you know, reasonable expenses can be reimbursed and things like that. But we're kind of watching a slippage of what people are defining as reasonable expenses. What are they defining as reasonable expenses? Do you, do you know? Well, it's really, that's a, that's a very interesting question and it's very hard to um, quantify. Um, the only way that I've been able to quantify it uh, was uh, or has been because of three cases that have been the family court here where there have been uh, registration of uh, US uh, surrogacy orders with the Family Court of Australia. And the judge in dealing with those matters has then looked at uh, what is um, whether the arrangement in, in question was commercial or not and whether it um, whether it uh, therefore broke um, state law. In some cases, we have state law that only applies within the state, and other times it's uh, we have a long-arm law uh, that applies and it stretches out somewhere. Uh, and then in a, in a couple of places, in three places, we have quite specific laws that say that if you go overseas for commercial surrogacy, then you, you com- commit a breach of the law. And so the, the judge has had to struggle um, with that. But it, it's not uncommon with um, our altruistic um, surrogacy arrangements, our domestic arrangements, um, to see um, payments for various expenses um, for the surrogate. You, you would expect that, so she's not out of pocket. These are constrained by state law because um, in some places, like Victoria, you can't pay for life insurance for the surrogate, which is just crazy. Um, in other places, like our state of Queensland or New South Wales, there's um, th- there's more flexibility because there's that that test of um, reasonable reasonable costs, and uh, you then uh, see the amounts they can be. You know, fairly typically, we've seen uh, payments on behalf of a surrogate for uh, medical expenses or um, leave from work, uh, etc. Life insurance of about eleven thousand. Um, I think the highest we had was a surrogate uh, who was reimbursed um, 30000 And that was so high because um, uh, our clients hadn't uh, obtained uh, disability insurance for her in case she um, uh, stopped work. And, of course, uh, guess what happened? She was an aerobics instructor. Um, so she stopped work. Um, and as a result, they had to pay for her loss of income. Wow. Okay. So, and I'm sorry, I'm going to go back because I'm, I'm feeling a little obtuse and I'm not an attorney. So I, yay, get to ask all these questions to help everybody mm-hmm. else. <laughs> but so you're saying that even if an Australian travels to the United States and uses a surrogate, they could be denied parentage 
based on the Australian law? Is that is that what I'm understanding? Well, that, that's a that's a very good question. That's a very good question. They might be committing an offence uh, in Australia back home. Uh, so far, it's unlikely they'll be charged uh, or convicted um, of um, that offence if, if they commit it. Just because they go to the United States doesn't mean that it's necessarily commercial. So um, it, that'll depend on what um, a judge here says. Um, but assume they, they have engaged in commercial surrogacy in the United States, the child will still obtain Australian citizenship the child will still be able to live in Australia with them. Um, the child won't be removed from them by state authorities. I've never seen that happen. Mm, all um, good news. But it's unlikely. But without registration of the US surrogacy order, it's unlikely that they'll actually be the legal parents of the child, at least for uh, family law or, or inheritance purposes. Mm, interesting. So it's a really weird yeah. um, setup. Uh, I think our laws about parentage um, are like a, a salami. You know, you slice them up and these bits say that you're a parent and those bits say that you're not. That's, it's really quite strange. That's fascinating. So you could still raise your child but not necessarily they wouldn't technically be your child and you, they might not inherit from you. Well, right, I, so I, then I, you have to specifically have like estate planning in place for your child yeah. to address that everything goes to them kind of thing. Or a- that absolutely. What you and, and look, the classic case was the the uh, husband and wife who lived in Melbourne and went to India for surrogacy. So the first thing about that is they weren't committing any criminal offence in doing so. Um, they came home, the child had Australian citizenship, everything um, worked, um, and uh, uh, they then went to the Family Court of Australia and they sought three orders. The first was child live with us, granted, um, the second is that uh, we have equal shared parental responsibility for the child, granted. Um, and the third was they be declared the parents of the child. and Denied. Um, the judge, ref- yeah, denied. Uh-huh. Um, and the judge said because they hadn't complied with Victorian law and Victorian law required them to undertake surrogacy and uh, undertake IVF, I apologise, in a Victorian clinic. It's pretty hard to do that if you're going to India. Wow. Um, so that they they were pretty unhappy with that outcome uh, back in 2015. So they appealed it, and uh, their appeal was unsuccessful. And three judges of the family court uh, accepted what the um, lower court uh, had said and said, "Look, you haven't complied with the law. Um, end of story." What the judges didn't do was to identify uh, who were the parents of the child and. By saying that they weren't the parents, um, they didn't actually identify it well. They, they said the parentage of the child is in doubt. That's where they left it. Well, it's in doubt, but um, if they weren't the parents, who then who were? Right. It must have been... Um, the surrogate in it India? It must have been the, the surrogate and her husband, the people who contracted not to be the parents, not recognised in India as the parents, no genetic relationship, never parented. Crazy outcome, and and no reference to the International Convention on the Rights of the Child, which of right. course right. So the um, child protects has the right identity to have of parents. the child. Well, and on what basis does the yeah. child have citizenship in Australia? Because you know, I mean, like generally, my understanding is, is that yeah, there's the funny thing. This is the different definition of who's a parent under the Australian Citizenship Act. Uh, someone who is born overseas 
uh, and has at the time of birth uh, an Australian citizen as a parent is entitled to apply for what is called citizenship by descent. And the thing about that is who is a parent under that legislation is different from that under family law legislation. Who's a parent under that legislation uh, is someone who is recognised socially as a parent. Now, the judges said that that case specifically didn't apply to uh, assisted reproductive technology and surrogacy because of provisions of family law legislation that sort of linked in. But the judges of the family court have then said uh, last year, well, that legislation, the ART provisions don't apply to surrogacy and surrogacy provisions don't apply to people who go overseas non-compliant with state law, which is, you know, often very difficult to comply with. Thankfully, uh, our immigration authorities have recognised that if you go overseas to surrogacy, you're likely not to be complying with state law, but the child is still entitled to Australian citizenship. At least that. <laughs> so confusing. they can obtain citizenship reasonably easily mm-hmm. and then bring the child, uh, and then the child, of course, can live in Australia or where, wherever it may live. That, in yeah. That's headache-inducing. So for the case you're talking yeah, for sure, the case you were mentioning where they were looking into what reasonable expenses were for an egg donation and they had gone to the United States, you know, in the United States, most donors are, are compensated 5,000, 6,000, 7,000, I've seen 10. In that case, did she, did the donor receive that kind of compensation and was it considered expenses? Um, I, I don't recall what the donors were paid. The, the judge was focused oh, on what Not the looking at what the donor was paid. paid. Okay, just a surrogate. And then the no, surrogate wasn't compensated kind of normal U.S. amounts of you know, which are between 30 and 40 now? Um, it, it, yeah. Look, it varies, it, you know, right. as we know that there, there, there is a of variation in the market. But certainly the amounts that are seen by the, by the court here as being um, reasonable uh, are less than uh, what one might find today, for example, in California. Yeah. And you said that they'd seen, they had approved up to 30,000, that that had been accepted. Oh, certainly less than that, yeah. Yeah, less than that. You know, if you're looking at California today, most right. what surrogates typically paid base compensation, mm-hmm. uh, 35 to 42, certainly much less than that. Yeah, interesting. Um, yeah, so so this is what you do. I mean, aside from this being kind of now living it, living what your clients do, this is kind of what you've been been doing for the last couple of decades is fighting for for people to become 30, parents. The three 30, decades, oh, which is rather, sorry, rather, just, rather frightening. I, I, I realize, and my first case, but my first case was really challenging. Um, there I was, a, a green lawyer um, out, in, out in the suburbs, and uh, this woman comes in one day and says, oh, look, I've, I've had a, a young boy um, for this couple who paid me $10,000. I'd have a child for them. And I thought, oh, well, I don't know what that's called, and then I realised that it was probably called surrogacy because I realised that there was legislation that either just been passed or about to be passed. And, uh, you know, not that I'd ever heard of surrogacy. It wasn't on the, on the radar um, 30 years ago. Um, and uh, uh, I want to know if I can keep both b- the baby and the money. She actually oh, said wow. that. I want, I want to know if I can keep both the baby and the money. Um, <laughs> and I was absolutely shocked. At, at what she said, and, and looking back, and of course, it must have been 
traditional surrogacy. And in those days, you didn't just go on the web and look it up instantly on your computer or your phone. <laughs> I, I had to actually look in a book. Um, so I said, let me have a look at the statutes and get back to you. And, and I, I looked it up and I said, well, uh, yes, you can, uh, because uh, it was an illegal contract. Oh, wow. And therefore the money lay where it fell. It was with her so she could yeah. keep it. Um, chances were if it ended up in the family court, um, she would succeed because she was the mother of the child and the court would feel sorry for her. Um, but in any event, it was unlikely that they would ever take it to court because if they did, uh, if the intended parents took it to court, uh, they may well get charged. The judge might have referred them off uh, to police yeah. to have, them, have everyone investigated and charged. So it never went to court. And so that boy is now, of course, um, 30, and I wonder whether he was ever told about his um, origins and, you know, how, how he was brought into the world. So she did keep, right. she kept him, indeed. Yeah, as far as I know, yeah. Did they share custody, anything? Because obviously no. the, I would assume the father had also parentage as well. No, not at all. Um, you know, they could not, the father could not go to court. You know, if he went to court, he had the risk that he right. might get prosecuted. Right. So this is the real risk of these laws that uh, have these absolute prohibitions that uh, you, have un you have unintended consequences that, that flow from it. The assumption is that people will not engage um, in surrogacy. The reality is they still do. So I, I think it's better to have um, uh, realistic laws rather than these, um, you know, absolute. Right. Have you have you Googled that, that boy or Facebook stalked him to see if he's doing okay? No, not, not at all. <laughs> I don't remember her name. It was, you know, 30 years ago. But it, it, was, it was only um, uh, a, a week or so ago that I realised, hang on, we're halfway through 2018. This, was, this event occurred 30 years ago, somewhere, sometime in 1988. Um, it's funny how you get halfway through a year and you go, you know, the bell rings wow. and you go, oh, wow. So despite that being one of your first cases in this area, you were still drawn to, to practice and kind of focus some of your... Yeah, well, it, it came from uh, largely, and it wasn't in that case, but it largely came from I was acting for uh, lesbian clients from uh, way back when. And uh, in, in those days, of course, they were uh, discriminated against in the family court when they split up from their husbands. Um, thankfully, those days are um, well and truly past now, hopefully. Um, but what um, then happened uh, was that, of course, they said, well, um, we want to have a baby, start advising us mm -hmm. about it. And then you had to look at, well, if one, uh, one woman gave the other her um, eggs, uh, was that surrogacy and... Yeah. and um, that was unclear, and one thing led to another, and then I, then I was advising um, heterosexual couples who wanted to undertake surrogacy. And, and it's funny how um, a weakness became a strength because Queensland, as I said before, criminalised all forms of surrogacy wherever you did it. So these couples would come in to me and say, well, uh, thanks for that, giving the advice that it's illegal. It's illegal here. Where can we do it? Uh, right. And so as a result, I would look at um, the law interstate. Um, 
And so when, and then I'll be able to say, you know, this is where you can do it. You just can't do it here, but you might be able to do it there. And following that, um, we had uh, uh, the changes to the law. And of course, I had an advantage over uh, some of my um, colleagues because if you lived in Sydney, you, as a lawyer, you'd give advice about New South Wales law. Um, I, my disadvantage was that it was illegal um, in Queensland, wherever you went. Um, but I knew the law interstate. They only knew the law in their local um, jurisdiction. So I had a clear advantage. And I mean, I know you from the American Bar Association where you frequently speak and are incredibly well-respected. Did you just on your own kind of start attending and become connected to those U.S. organizations? Oh, yes. Now, there is a funny story. (laughs) Um, I thought, well, I'm on... Uh, this was uh, 2011. I thought well, I've got a national practice in surrogacy. No one else has that. Um, but we really only started to a great degree. You know, I'd given lots of advice work, but in terms of having babies, going through all that process, really, um, we are neophytes. And I thought, well, um, where has been doing surrogacy for a long time? Um, the US. So I scared around the ABA. Um, website and found that there was um, a news list. I put myself on it. And next thing you know, within a day or so, I get an email, uh, world's first international surrogacy conference in Vegas, call for speakers. And I saw this thing that said the call for speakers had expired two weeks before, but there's the email, the fresh email in in my box. So I thought, well, it's a Tuesday afternoon. For some reason, I don't have too much to do this afternoon. And I spent two to three hours writing out, pick me, because I thought the idea of going to Vegas for a conference sounded pretty good and being inspired at international was pretty good. Um, And knowing you'd likely get married there once you met the right person. Well, yes, I didn't know that that was going to happen. Scoping out a wedding site. A few years later. (laughs) But um, here am I thinking, well, look, the chances are, uh, I, I thought, you know, a low chance that they still needed speakers, more likely someone forgot to send the auto email, um, forgot to turn it off. And within 12 hours, I got an email back saying, can you confirm within 24 hours you can come? <laughs> wow. So I went there. It, it seemed to go well. It, it was extraordinary. I, I was asked to be in charge of uh, uh, the policy for the American Bar Association uh, at, which had been requested by the State Department to come up with a policy about a proposed Hague Convention on International Surrogacy Arrangements. Wow. So here am I. I'm not an American. Um, I, I'm this um, Aussie with a very broad accent living on the other side of the world, and yet I was asked to be in charge of that. And that that um, little project um, took um, four and a half years uh, to get through the hills and dales of uh, the American Bar Association um, and uh, uh, it was a policy that was um, written by Bruce Hale in Boston and myself and, and others um, under the chairmanship of, uh, of uh, Steve Snyder and, and Rich Vaughan um, and then it became the policy of the ABA in February 2016. So it is now the policy of 400,000 attorneys around the world. You know, it's just... Congratulations. That's that's a huge accomplishment. Yeah, thank you. But, but uh, when I was asked if I could do this, I said, of course. Why? You know, you're an Australian. Uh, this is the American Bar Association. And I said something like, are you kidding me? This is the world's uh, richest, largest, most powerful lawyers group. Um 
when it speaks, even though it's focused on America, everyone has to listen whether they like it or not. You, you just can't ignore it. It's there. Um, so I thought it was absolutely imperative. I had not heard that. That is very yeah. And I'd forgotten I'd said that, but it was quoted back at me some years ago, <laughs> some years later that I'd said that. Um, because here was I, an outsider, looking in and seeing this is this is the um, power of the organisation that when it spoke, everyone has to listen whether they like it or not. I uh, subsequently became a fellow of the what is now the Academy of Adoption and Assisted. Re- uh, adoption and assisted reproduction attorneys. So I'm the, I was the first fellow of ARTA, international fellow of ARTA outside the US and Canada. I'm the only fellow of that in Australia. And uh, I then became, on the same day, funnily enough, accepted on the same day, a fellow of the what is now the International Academy of Family Lawyers, and I'm on their surrogacy committee um, as well. Uh, and then Bill Singer, uh, who founded LGBT Family Law Institute, got me to one of their meetings in London and gave me the tap on the shoulder. Well, you know, we're doing it here in, in the UK. What are you doing in Australia? So I've now uh, run that a couple of times and we've got another uh, meeting in Brisbane in time for a national conference, family law conference in October. And then when the IAFL comes to uh, Melbourne next year, there'll be a meeting in, uh, along with that. So it's, uh, it's been an interesting journey. But can I tell you about two um, seminal experiences um, uh, yes. in my career? Yes, um, one, one was um, the first, first case in the world that talked about what was conception. Um, and uh, this was decided by the Children's Court of Queensland. Um, it came about because when our surrogacy law was passed, it said... Uh, that the surrogacy arrangement had to be signed before the child was conceived. That was the exact phrase, before the child was conceived. But there was no definition of what was conception. Now, historically, in in our state, uh, we had um, a a religious divide so that um, Protestant men typically went into the public service and many Catholic men uh, went into the law. So there were a lot of Catholic uh, lawyers and, and, and judges. And I was really concerned that if we came before um, a conservative Catholic judge that we might um, have people who... I see where this is going, yeah. So I worked... Yeah, so I worked this up. I worked this matter up because we had... embryos formed without having... Yeah, before the the surrogacy arrangement is signed. And, uh, and of course, it's common to have the embryos in the deep freeze forever and then suddenly... Oh, we've got a surrogate. Let's go right. ahead with surrogacy right. because our efforts of becoming parents haven't worked. Um, and I'd worked this up on for a particular matter, which was going to be the test case. And as it turns out, it it, it didn't go ahead at that stage. But a colleague, I talked to a colleague about it, and she said, "Well, actually, next week I, I'm I'm for the intended parents, but the surrogate had legal representation and and." Uh, didn't like her lawyer very much, and really this issue hadn't been, been hadn't been addressed. Could you please attend and appear and uh, make submissions about about this? Yeah. And so, you, you in the process of preparation, you go, surely there must be a case somewhere in the world where we talked about conception, and the answer was oh. there wasn't. Oh, wow. No and way. that's so hard no to way. find to prove and, a negative and, to not just find right. that needle in the haystack. Wow. And, 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 
That's right. And, and, and you, go to, you go to the conference in Vegas and at the end of my presentation and said, it would be really helpful. This, I don't know, there was 200 or so, 250 attorneys in the room. Does anyone have a case in that? And the general response was, no, we don't, but that's right. really interesting. Yeah. Let us know. How <laughs> Good luck. And so, Good luck with that. <laughs> and and, and uh, uh, we had, uh, I was given the material and included an affidavit from a doctor which said that uh, conception happened on X date. That's all it said. Uh, it said other stuff, but on this point, that's all it said. And I looked at this and thought, well, that's sort of the conclusion, not the beginning of the journey. Where's the evidentiary base there for that conclusion? And I'd worked up with another doctor, a form of words, so I sent it to the other, other solicitor and said, look, could you please ask the uh, doctor to uh, swear another affidavit, a supplementary affidavit covering this issue? Because at the moment, I'm afraid that's not going to get through. I'm really worried about it. And because it's not the be-all and end-all, but having the expert in the field talk about this made it um, really quite powerful evidence, I thought. And she came back and said, it took him six weeks to uh, swear the affidavit up in the first place and we're on next Wednesday. It's not going to happen. I said, if you don't get it, then we're not, we're not, going, to, we, we're not going to get there anyway. By a miracle, she got the doctor oh. sworn up. And what was amazing was to read the judgment and then say, mm -hmm. and, the, and the expert said, uh, Dr. So-and-so oh. said, and then quoted, I thought, oh, those are my words in there. <laughs> um, but, the, but the judge judge had, judge had no difficulty at all. It was, we had a, uh, a female judge and mm -hmm. uh, she had no difficulty at all in ruling that conception was not the act of fertilisation, it was the act of uh, pregnancy. So that was that was a, a nice little, yeah. um, nice little um, victory. That's huge. So if so I've done you, nothing you else good in the world, at least I've done that. That is huge. That's yeah, yeah. And the the other thing that happened was that in uh, the following year, uh, two thousand and thirteen, we had a uh, new government elected. So to wind back, this is wind back uh, when the surrogacy um, uh, bill. Uh, the surrogacy bill was um, uh, debated, there were two versions. There was the government version and the opposition version. And the opposition version was identical, word for word, except in one respect, uh, in two respects. The first was that for lesbians uh, who were not the birth mothers, they were, the government bill had recognition of them as uh, the parents if they... Uh, consented to the process and the two of them lived uh, lived together uh, as a couple uh, and the opposition version didn't uh, didn't have that they didn't want that recognition um, happening and the second the second was uh, that uh, under the government bill uh, everyone could undertake surrogacy without discrimination but under the opposition bill uh, it was uh, that uh, uh, gays, lesbians and singles couldn't Good. and, in fact, it would be a criminal offence to do oh, so. Well. well, the government bill got passed and then, as as time happens, of course, the opposition are then then got elected. Oh. And uh, there I was, it was actually uh, uh, 2012, I, I was... Uh, I, I was in the United States. I went to visit Andy Vortzheimer, of all people, yeah. and I'd never met him before. Uh, we'd had work together, but, you know, that as happens across the waves, you do it by email, Skype, phone, etc. Sure. But 
this was the first time I met him. So I go into his room to meet him and he said, oh, there's this really bad thing that's happened in Queensland um, about surrogacy. And I said, oh, you're talking about civil partnerships. He said, no, it's <laughs> surrogacy. It's happened overnight. Of course, he had Google alerts or similar. I I hadn't kept, you know, I was travelling. I hadn't <laughs> no. seen it. And there I am on the other side of the world thinking, oh, great. Um, so the government had, we had a single uh, chamber parliament. The government had a majority of, uh, I think they had about 70-odd seats in a 90-seat parliament, 89-seat parliament. So they could just ram anything through. And I thought, we're going to fight this. Um, but the chances of success in fighting it were mm, maybe 3% at best. Um, but I thought that the way to, to fight it initially was to um, drag it out and get a coalition of people who would um, support it. So somehow uh, that coalition coalesced and uh, the key body was called Queenslanders for Equality. Um, we had a launch, we had a petition. Um, uh, what was the remainder of the government was the opposition and they were supportive and we got uh, a lot of signatures on this petition but then uh, Christian Lobby came along and they had double the number oh. of petitions on, on their opposing petition. Oh. I thought, oh, yeah. no, this is just dreadful. So on this particular day when we had the launch, the seven of us, because there were only seven of us in this little group uh, and I was the only lawyer, we went to lunch and the most stupid thing I've probably said in my life, I said, <laughs> well, um, well, we've had that. Who's in charge after today? How dumb was that? Because, <laughs> of course... The joke was about, oh, Stephen, you should be in charge. Oh, I'm joking. No, not really. And everyone said, oh, of course, Stephen, you're in charge. So ironically, this fight took um, nine months. It took nine months. And uh, March the following year, March 2013, I, I get an email from um, Phil, who was the only other member by this stage, because there's only two of us, not seven. Everyone else had melted away. And Phil said, look, I've had enough. I've got burnout. I can't do it anymore. You're writ. And I thought to myself, I'm it against the government. And we had tried everything. We got the local law society involved. We got Australian Lawyers for Human Rights. Yeah. Um, the media got um, engaged in it. One thing dropped off. They, they said, oh, we'll, we'll recognise the lesbians because it, it was pretty awful. It would have meant that we were the only jurisdiction amongst um, nine, so the eight states and territories and, and our federal, that wouldn't recognise lesbians as the as the other parent, oh, which would have no. meant she wouldn't be recognised on the birth certificate, but if, if they ever split up, she would be recognised for child support purposes. <laughs> that, yeah, that did not yeah. play out too well in the media. They then dropped the crimin criminality issue, but they said, you know, we're not going to, the attorney said, we're not going to drop this other, other uh, we're not going to allow gays, lesbians and singles to undertake surrogacy. So the fight went on. And when I got this email Monday um, in March the following year, I I was thoroughly depressed because I thought I had the weight of the world on my shoulders. Um, I'd previously been told, look, you're really brave taking this on. I said, I'm the leader in this field. If I don't take this on, I'll be accused of cowardice. I'm not mm. going to um, accept that. And it's just wrong. The whole thing was just wrong. I feel like and this epic journey. You're like on the, the Thursday, the, the news broke. To <laughs> yep. yeah, absolutely. And, but here it was. On the Thursday, the news broke. Um, it was ditched. The whole policy was ditched. So the law never passed and then the government lost power um, and uh, it's it's dead and buried. And to to their credit, the old the remains of the old government, now the opposition, 
have largely embraced um, LGBT issues. You know, they, they have, they've seen the light, and, and indeed the attorney who was pushing this uh, even came out ahead of our, our, um, our plebiscite and said he was in favour of same-sex marriage. Wow. Go figure. That is, that is such... That's how much the landscape That's has changed. Amazing. And good for you for hanging in there to the very end, even when things looked really bleak. I, I really just like picture you like climbing Mordor by yourself, throwing the ring in, like you're saving the saving the world. That's, that's well, we had this community forum at the beginning of it. And, uh, you know, we had a whole series of speakers and it was in this um, downstairs in the cellar of this um, gay pub. And, you know, lots of people crowded in. And there was this woman who spoke, um, earlier, just ahead of me, and she said, uh, well, you know, we've got to do something about it, but, oh, you know, we've got to be organised about it, and when that might happen, we'll have to work it out. And I'm listening to this and thinking, the government passed the other bill in 24 hours. This could happen any second. Uh, and I got up there, and I was full of um, fire and brimstone. Apparently, I, I was, it was described that my speech was Churchillian. <laughs> it was a real call to action. <laughs> Because I just thought I'm not going to cop this. How dare they yeah. do this? How dare yeah. they uh, wind this back and without any consultation? And and, and I knew that the Premier um, at the time, so the, um, the fellow who was in charge, not the attorney, but I knew the Premier wasn't homophobic. Um, and I, I knew that because uh, I'd previously been involved in a gay and lesbian business at work and when he was the local mayor, um, I'd got him to speak, and so he was the first member of his party to speak at a, a LGBT um, business event. So um, he spoke about his vision for for our city. But um, to get him, if he was homophobic, of course he would never have turned up. Um, so I, I wasn't. I was not motivated by any animus towards the government. You know that wasn't the point. It was about the policy. It was all about policy. Yeah. Stephen, you are a true inspiration, and we are really honored that you were willing to share a little bit of your time, even though we had so many difficulties with tech. Um, and we are really excited for you and Mitch as you grow your family. Yay, we can't wait for the update. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, we're very excited. We're very We'll do a follow up. Wonderful. That would be great. We'll do part two then. Exactly. Thank you so very much. See you guys. Lesson of the day. I think one of the takeaways is really just to learn from Stephen's tenacity. I love the story where he's in this group banding together to fight for, for what's right. And slowly everyone drops out, but him, because they just give up on the cause. And ultimately, you know, he was the last man standing, but he was there when it mattered and um, they were able to, to win a significant victory. And I think that is something we really can all learn from is just standing strong, fighting for what you believe, even when it looks like there is no hope and everyone else has, has dropped out. So, so thanks, Stephen. And we can all, we can all learn from, from your virtues and skills. But there's always hope. And, and we, we hope, aha, do you like my corny jokes? They, they have to come back sometime, right? We mm -hmm. hope that you will go to iTunes and review us and tell people that we're awesome. I mean, you can tell us if we're not awesome also, but we, we, we like it. We like the positive reinforcement too. Um, but also we just want to send a huge thank you out to Chris at Worker Bird Studios for making us sound great as usual. And we do love to hear from people via our phone number. So you can give us a call and leave us a message at 
997-1903. And we do try to get back to anybody who gives us a call. And, you know, we, we, we like, we like fan voicemails. We, we love it. So we thrive off these things. So please do reach out to us and uh, we'll talk to y'all next week. 